0: So we're held captive. Or held captive by, by many different things. Consumerism, materialism. We're held captive ultimately by sin. And that should grieve us. Should grieve us. Especially when we see others held by the captivity, whether it's false believing, whether it's gluttony, you name it, lying. But were held captive, and so Jesus came to set us free. Not only that, he says, I've come to give sight to the blind. He talks about blind here, the blindness of unbelief is the idea. I came to give sight. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, Paul says, In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they may not see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You see, the enemy came to blind us so that we could not see who Jesus really is and God's plan in Jesus for us. So the enemy loves to blind people. But Paul says, here's what Jesus came to do. He came to open eyes. He came to open eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus came, so that we could see him. He also came, it says, to set free those who are oppressed, ultimately being oppressed by the enemy, by Satan. Satan. In fact, Paul told Timothy this in 2 Timothy 2.26, Timothy 2, that there are those who need to escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. And we see oppression in many different forms, but the ultimate oppression of man is being oppressed by the enemy. And we see it in other ways, and Jesus obviously came to release them from Satan's oppression, but other oppression that we see in our world are the abused, the powerless, the orphan, many times the one in foster care sometimes, the system, we see that in our world, we see sometimes widows as those who are the oppressed, that's, Luke will speak of that, the sojourner, even the unborn, we see that in our day as well, in fact, as I say that, I want to remind you we have baby bottles out there, would you grab them, (laughs) fill them up with change, and that goes to help the mission to set free the oppressed, the unborn. That's what Jesus came to do. But ultimately from the oppression of the enemy. And then it says that he came to proclaim the time of the Lord's favor, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. This is an interesting statement. I'm sure when you've read this, maybe many of times you've wondered, what is that, Jesus? What are you talking about? The favorable year of the Lord, I came to proclaim that. In the Old Testament, it talks about this season, this time of the year of Jubilee. It's the 50th year. And you can read in Leviticus 25 what it was all about. It's a a beautiful time. It's a time of celebration. It's a time where the forgiveness of debts are granted. And it's a beautiful picture of what God has come to do, to offer mercy, to offer grace, And so what Jesus is saying, I have come to usher in a time, and this time is the favor of the Lord, it's the accepting of the Lord, it's the welcoming of the Lord, it's the grace of the Lord. It's a time span, though, that Jesus has in mind here. What's very interesting about this, if you go back to Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2, Jesus stops where Isaiah continues, because what Isaiah will say next in verse 2 of Isaiah 61, he will say the favorable year of the Lord, and then he will say the day of vengeance of the Lord as well. Now, why would that be? Why would Jesus stop? I think this is why. Isaiah had in mind when he saw the coming of the Messiah, he saw his two comings, his first advent and his second advent as one. Many times the prophets would do this. They would speak of the coming of the Lord both in his taking on human flesh and dwelling among us, and then him coming again in glory, and coming again, they would see that as two. And so when Isaiah says, the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of God, he saw that as two, one thing. But what Jesus does for us is Jesus shows us something here, I think, with leaving that, second part, or that last part of verse two off. Is he saying, with me coming and my first coming, and so it's almost like a, a two-act play here. Okay? Jesus' his first coming ushers in the favorable year of the Lord. And that's important. Because what that means is the time we live in now is the time and the season of the patience of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God. But what it also tells us as well is that will end. It's a season. Just like the year of Jubilee had an ending, this will have an ending Jesus ushers this in, and so what is the season that we're in? Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 2. Listen to what he says. He says, at the acceptable time, I listened to you, and on the day of salvation, I helped you. This is God's word to us, and Paul says, behold, now is that acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now, today, right? Right? Today. But it will end. That's how Jesus spoke of this. This is what Jesus says in John 12, 47, 48. He says, if anyone hears my sayings, the message, the gospel, my teaching, and does not keep them, I do not judge him. This is interesting. For I did not come to judge the world, but to do what? To save the world. That's what the favorable year of the Lord is. It's a time of salvation. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to save. He who rejects me, though, Jesus says, and does not receive my sayings during this favorable year of the Lord, has one who judges him. But listen to this the word I spoke is what will judge him at that last day. So, what does that mean? I think what that means is in this time when Jesus comes, he comes and he speaks and teaches words of grace. But we know that one day when Jesus returns again, those words of grace become words of judgment for those who reject him during this time span. And so whether what comes first, either your death or his coming, the big question is, did we accept him or did we reject him? And your soul depends on it. A season of grace will turn into a season of judgment. And now there's a lot of other parts to that, and you, we can get into different eschatology stuff and things like that, but that's the simplicity of it. And that's what Jesus comes to do. He comes to usher in the favorable year of the Lord. But he will return again, and he will come. And those words turn to words of judgment for those who do not receive him. Now, it's interesting. He reads that, but listen to what he says in verse 20 and 21. He closed the book. It's like a drop the mic moment, right? He gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. They were like, whoa, whoa. And he began to say to them this, today this scripture has been filled, fulfilled in your hearing. So what was Jesus doing? He, he simply got up and said, this is who I am. That's what he did. And this is what I came to do. Now, they didn't like that at first, <laughs> They were cool with that. Because listen to what happens in verse 22. All who were there were speaking well of him and wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. And they were saying, is this not Joseph's son? I mean, they're cool with this. They've seen with him. They've worked with him. They've hung out with him. They've maybe even played with him when he was little. And they're like, okay. This guy's joined us in the synagogue before. He gets up and read these words. This is Joseph's boy, right? So they're seeing him in the flesh only. But then look what Jesus says in verse 23. He responds, but he just doesn't respond to their good feeling about him. He responds ultimately to their misconception, their misunderstanding verse 23 and 24, Jesus said to them, no doubt you will quote, quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Whatever we heard was done at Capernaum, do here in your hometown of Nazareth as well. And he said to them, truly I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. town. Wow. Think get a little tense up in here, <laughs> right? What were they saying? Jesus was saying this. When, when he says, you're going to say this, physician, heal yourself. Does, not, does it remind you of something that's going to happen a little later when he's, when he's on the cross? Yeah. Save yourself, right? So this is going to follow him, okay? Here's what it is. It, it, what Jesus is saying is you have an attitude of prove it. Prove to me. Prove to me. Prove what you claim to be. Sounds a little familiar, right? Who else did that last week? Could it be Satan? Yeah? Yeah. He did that. He did that. The people are tempting him to do the same. And he says to them, hey, listen, you're, you're going to ask me to do what I did in Capernaum. We don't know if specifically if Jesus had been in Capernaum already when he says this, he will be in Capernaum next according to Luke. But whatever he's saying here is what he's saying is, hey, listen, whether I've already done it, okay, or whether I'm about to do it and you get word about what I'm gonna do, you want me to come here and show you some kind of show, some kind of healing show. Show. What's interesting is he says, truly I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. What's interesting about that is he just got done saying that this is the welcoming time of God. This is the favorable time of God. This is the accepting time of God. Yet, you don't accept or welcome me. Play on words that is significant. So here's what Jesus says. Jesus is saying, you want me to be this, and you want my kingdom to be about this, so here's what Jesus says, but I'm this, and here's what my kingdom looks like. Verse 25, I say to you in truth, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, and when the sky was shut up for three years and six months, when a great famine came over all the land, and yet Elijah was sent to none of them. You with me? There are many in the land. That's the point Jesus is saying. There were many in that land who were in need. Jesus says, but only to Seraphath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow, did he go to. And then he says, in a second story, there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet. And none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman, the Syrian. What's the point? What's Jesus saying here? He's saying, hey, God passed over many ethnic Jews in the day of Elijah, 1 Kings 17, and they were in need. But what did God do? He chose to go to Seraphath, a non-Jew, a woman, and a widow. And so what he's saying is, hey, this is, this is what God has been doing. Jesus is saying, I'm not just this Jewish Messiah that you're looking for. I came for the world. I came for those who the world has pushed aside that don't care about. Right? And Luke's going to talk about that. Women were pushed aside in society. They were seen as lower. Widows, the same, and especially Gentiles as well. But then he shares the story from 2 Kings verse 5 about this king from Syria. His name is Naaman. And he had leprosy. And he says here, who did God come to? Out of all the lepers in Israel, he came to this one who was a non-Jew, who was unclean, and who was a leper. And what Jesus is saying is that is exactly who I came for. So what do they do? Are they all cool with this? Have they got confetti and they're ready to throw it and be like, yeah, man, we are with you. No. Verse 28, it says, And all the people in the synagogue were filled with rage and anger as they heard these things. And they got up and they drove him out of the city, led him to the brow of the hill on which their city had been built, in order to throw him down the cliff. (laughs) They're, They're angry. They're raged. But what does Jesus do? Passing through their mist, he went away. I think what Jesus does with this simple departure is he simply says with this, I am who I am. I'm not going to be who you want me to be. And isn't that good? I mean, think about it. I mean, there's sometimes we want Jesus to be different for us. We want God to be different for us, usually to get something, to be something different or to experience something different. We, we want to work that. But Jesus just simply walks away and says, I, I am who I am. And this is why I came. This is who I came for. The helpless, the broken, the needy, the poor, the captive, the blind. So what does that mean? Can I give you two things before we depart? The first thing is simply this, is during this favorable year of the Lord that Jesus has ushered in, the kingdom of God is now at hand. It's the message of grace. So what do we do? I think the first simple thing is you... You've got to accept it. You can either accept or reject the words of grace about who Jesus is. And so can I plead with you this morning? If you're here this morning and you've never accepted the grace of God in Jesus Christ, would you obey, that's what Jesus says, obey the gospel and believe. The reasons you think about the reasons, maybe you, you failed to come to gospel before you came to the gospel, many of us in here. Think about all the reasons. Maybe it was the sin in your life, you, you didn't want to give up that life. Maybe it was because you, you just, man, you didn't want to submit you liked doing your thing. Maybe you thought you were okay, right? I'm, a, I'm okay until God made you realize, no, you're not okay. Or maybe you just didn't believe Jesus to be who he said he was, but then God woke you up one day and caused that blindness to fall off and made you see. If you're here today and, and maybe you're there, I, that's my prayer. That's my prayer, is that God would do what he says he came to do in verse 18 and 19 in your life if you have not accepted the grace of God. And that he would release you from whatever is holding on to your soul this morning. So we've got to accept the grace of God. The second thing is Jesus here in Luke 4, 18 through 19 describes his mission. But in doing this, he describes our mission. So just our mission. Here's, here's what it is. The mission of the church. The church in Ephesians 1 and 4 is called what? You're in one this morning. It's called the body of Christ. There's a reason we're called the body of Christ. And I think one of the reasons is because of this text. Is we're to embody Jesus. We're to embody the message of Jesus. See, the church is what people see of Christ as Christ puts his will into visible action through his church. That's what he's doing through us. Therefore, the mission of Christ, which was performed in his physical body here on earth, he now performs through who? You and I. Children of God, his church, his body, and we are to do what? We're to imitate him to follow in his footsteps and to live the example he left for us. So can I encourage you this week to do something? Can I encourage you to take Luke four eighteen through 19 and meditate on it every day this week? It's two verses. Add it to your devotional, but make that part of your devotional time this week. Meditate on it and ask the Lord to move you to the toward the need of the poor, the captive, the blind, the oppressed. And let this be the great mission of your week, the great cause of your week. Because what did Jesus do? He moved toward need, not comfort. And I think the great Tension for us as we look at this text, that we're, we see Jesus being led toward need, but man, we are so often led toward comfort to our needs and what we want. And so this week, I pray we look at this text. We say, Jesus, I want to be led toward need like you were, toward the blind, the poor, the captive, the oppressed, and I want to be one who shares this message of favor and acceptance of God. To those people I want to be that that's what he's called us to do as the church that's our purpose that's what we're called to do in the workplace at school oh at school guys so whether you're a teacher administrator or a student that's your calling this week Luke 4 18 19 wherever God has placed us so that's my prayer for you this week let's pray